Hello. All right. Hi. I'm here. Aaron, what's good, man? <laughs> I made it. Hey, we did it. Okay, so now we are actually recording, man. Um, I got a lot of questions, but I kind of want to let you have the chance to kind of introduce yourself and like your main passions and kind of like a little overview. Uh, obviously, not the whole picture, but like a little overview of like what you do, and we can dive deep. Okay. Um, my name's Aaron Craig. Um, I'm a uh, call myself like a pop artist. I'm based on the Sunshine Coast in Australia. Um, and yeah, that's kind of what I do for, for a living. Oh, okay. Pretty, so, pretty broad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because under pop artist, you probably do a lot of different things, right? Yeah, 100%. So um, uh, like I own an art company, which I've owned since 2013. Um, that's been a pretty big staple in the Australian art scene. Um, uh, I do my own thing, obviously under my, my name, Aaron Craig, um, which is generally what I do as like my main job. Um, I run a, like a pin manufacturer company for like lapel pins and patches, um, for people all around the world. And, um, I'm in the process of, uh, launching a NFT platform. Ooh. So I kind of, uh, I kind of do a lot of a lot of things, but I mean, my my main job daily is uh, artist. So I, I like I paint pretty much every day. So, oh, I see. That is a lot, man. How do you how do you <laughs> kind of like balance all that at once? Um, just sort of priority, to be honest. Um, you know, like I guess I'm I'm in a enviable position of being able to you know, be the, the master of my own time. Um, like I don't sort of, I'm not accountable to anybody um, sort of where I decide to spend my time. So, I mean, other than if I take on projects that sort of, uh, you know, if I've been commissioned or whatnot. Um, so really the only pressure that I have in my life is pressure that I put on myself to meet deadlines, which I can just change if I need to. So I try and keep my, my sort of daily schedule basically stress-free so that's like that's really important to me to you know if i if i start getting stressed out about stuff and um it sort of takes away from enjoying it so i kind of just go with the flow <laughs> Ooh, i feel you do you to kind of like go with that flow do you start the day with art or do you kind of like let let what happens happen um i have two small kids so i uh i start the day with most mornings I start the day with uh, meditation and um, healing codes. If you, if you know what healing codes are, I don't know. A lot of people probably don't. I actually don't know about that. Can you tell me about um, that? Sure. So the healing codes uh, is a book written by uh, Dr. Alex Lloyd. Um, it basically just incorporates um, things like uh, realigning chakras and um, like tapping and things like that. So um yeah sort of start my morning sort of clearing any sort of negativity by doing the healing codes then they give us like three to six minutes it's not really time um you know not really like a big time uh take her up or so i do that and then i generally go into do a meditation i studied um transcendental meditation um last year with a, a lady here on the sunshine coast and so I uh, usually get in the car and go for a drive and sort of uh, sit in the car in a quiet spot and do like a 20-minute uh, TM. And um, and then I come home and sort of go through the the morning ritual of 
getting children ready for school and daycare and things like that. And then once that's all taken care of, uh, I sort of dive into to work, you know, emails mm-hmm. and Instagram and whatever else, and whatever projects I have going that day, I sort of, you know, start them, start on the uh, most important and sort of work my way down. Dude, that is the coolest shit, like driving. <laughs> that's the coolest way to flow into the day, dude. I've never heard anyone that, that must be so cool. Like, do you have a specific spot that you drive to to meditate? Um, I live on, I, I, I live in a pretty nice spot. So, uh, I don't know if you've been here, but, um, I live on the Sunshine Coast, which is in Queensland. Queensland is like the Sunshine State. So I guess it's probably like the Florida of, uh, mm-hmm. Australia. <laughs> okay. Um, so I live in sort of like a rural place, like, um, an hour North of Brisbane, which is the, the main city in Queensland. And, um, yeah, the beach is like 200 meters away and, uh, it's, a pretty cool quiet little suburb that i live in so I, I literally just drive like a couple blocks from my house i'll do it at home but i've got you know small kids they could wake up and uh interrupt my uh meditation so i go in the car and sort of just go down the road a couple a couple blocks and pull the car up and kind of chill out mm. i might honestly add that because so you do the clearing of your studio and then when you come back, do you ever um, do you ever plan like an advance, like oh, I'm gonna have to tackle these things or those things, or is it more like just this cool flow? Because it sounds to me like it, it's like you kind of like flow into each things at least. But those dude, those are sick activities. Honestly, I'm gonna like write down that book, bro. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's um, you can just like the the books are really great. Um, you know, they delve into you know, I guess healing yourself of sickness and things like that as well. But, um, you know, it's about sort of blockages that you might have in your life, like, um, cellular memories, like negative cellular memories that may be stored within your body from other, you know, traumatic experiences in your life or not even traumatic experiences in your life. So, um, it's kind of about sort of just like unblocking things that sort of might be getting in your way that you might not even know about. Um, you know, it's a great way to think like if you have something like if I have a really stressful sort of conversation or, something come up that's really triggering to me. Um, literally you can go do like a, a healing code for like six minutes and it kind of just falls away. You can kind of move on with it rather than sort of, you know, sit there stewing on things. So um, yeah, that's kind of like what I, like what I do. I try and do that twice a day. I try and do the, the meditation twice a day, like finish my day with it. I, I don't always get it in, but um, you know, that's, that's the goal most days, but um, you know, I do, I do have like a schedule of things that I like how my day will go. And I, I mean, I generally know that from day to day anyway. So like, uh, the moment I'm working on a commission painting for someone, um, that I started a couple of days ago and I would have finished it yesterday, but I had a few things come up that weren't really in my schedule that I, you know, dedicated a few hours to. And so, um, you know, I just finished it off this morning. So you know, there's nothing ever like I don't. I don't use a calendar. Like I don't have like a dead. Like I said, I don't have deadlines for stuff. Like this has to be done by this date, unless it's like for a gallery show or something like that that actually has a deadline. But most of the stuff, like I said, I get to sort of pick and choose. So it's I, I try and I try and take the stress out of it because if it's stressful, then I don't really want to do it anyway. You know. Mm, interesting. So, 
you have like a lot of going on like between the toys and like the paintings and all that you said your main thing is is painting for you like that's your main medium yeah interesting where do the toys come into that because that's like to me that's super intriguing like i would love to to i was even looking at how you did it and you used a service called like potter toys right um so uh popper toys are a are a um they're a toy company based out of singapore so uh they're like not toy manufacturers like they don't provide a toy making service for people they're an actual toy company so they i guess work in the same way as uh any like a print company or art gallery or something good so they collaborate Mm -hmm. with artists and produce the product um so i didn't get those made for me i made them for poba does that make sense yeah i see i see what you're saying so like i didn't go and find somebody to make the toys for me they uh i was yeah i like partnered with poba to make the toys for poba Ooh, how does how does a collaboration like that work like do they fully do they give you like guidelines or do they just give you like free reign for creativity um i've been pretty lucky actually so um Jake from Pubba like approached me a, a few years ago now about the the first art toy that I did, which was um, McGreasy. And um, at the time, I was going to make it myself. Um, sort of in, in regards to like I was going to bankroll it, and it was going to be made of resin. It was going to be a lot bigger than than what it ended up being. Um, and I just I kind of didn't really know the first thing about make, like physically making toys. Like I've been, um, you know, obviously a, an art toy collector and an action figure collector and things like that for a long time. But um, making them myself, I kind of didn't really know about. So I actually had like I did all the like the back end work and it was kind of just learning on the fly, you know, like what did I need to provide? How did I, you know, I had to find someone to do the 3D sculpt for me like 3d render my work and to find someone to 3d print it and then cast it and all that. So I actually did the whole process basically up until the, the casting, um, by myself or when I say by myself, I mean like, um, on the fly, like, you know, I would find people that could do each step for me. So, um, I did like all the turnaround drawings of the figure that I wanted. So basically you, you sketched, to figure out how you want it to look from every perspective, um, top sides, you know, back front. Um, and then you give those to someone who uh, is like, like a 3d sculptor or a 3d artist. So, um, you know, these, these are sort of people that are probably like killing it with the NFT game now. Right. Mm. Um, you know, they got all the skills to use like ZBrush and whatever else. So uh, I had someone uh, sculpt it for me, like 3d sculpt it. And then I had those files sent to another guy who had a 3D printer who 3D printed it out for me and, um, you know, sanded it down and got it all primed, ready to cast. And then basically they used that, uh, that prototype, they cast it and make a mold. Um, and then that, that mold, like the, the rubber mold is what you would end up using to pour resin into to create like the resin edition of them. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yep. So that's sort of the stage I got to. And then I started to realize how much money it was actually going to cost. Um, not so much in regards to, um, I guess, like the the supplies. It was like shipping because most of my customer base is probably in, in the US. 
So shipping like a 12 inch solid resin uh, figure, you know, it's going to weigh like, I think, I think I did the math. It was going to weigh like two and a half kilos or something crazy. Mm. <laughs> so uh, I bit the bullet and, um, you know, Jake from Pobber was, um, you know, he was kind enough to sort of um, leave the door open for me. So, you know, he let me do the project up to that point myself because I was pretty adamant that I wanted to my first art toy to be released by me. Um, but I mean, I learned a lot of invaluable uh, lessons while doing that project myself. Uh, then I handed the reins over to Jake and, um, you know, he's been making um, soft vinyl, like proper Safubi style art toys for a long time with Pobba. So um, he made McGreezy a reality. And uh, since then, I think we've done two sellout editions, like two different variants. There's a third and fourth, maybe fifth one coming. Um, I'm working on another sort of um, smaller variation of McGreezy with Pobber as well. And, um, and then we just had the Life of Crime art toy that I did. Uh, I think it's about to ship to everyone who pre-ordered it uh, in the coming weeks. So it's kind of been a, a really nice experience for me. And I, you know, I've been lucky enough that, that um, you know, that was obviously done because someone saw the value in, in what I was doing. Um, so I was lucky in, in that regard. But I also feel pretty good that I, you know, I kind of backed myself to, to get the project to where it was to begin with. So at least I have a full understanding of what goes into manufacturing art toys now. Yeah, man. That's super, super interesting. That whole process of just like figuring it out as you go. I I have a lot of questions about like your process as an artist, but I almost want to ask you more about like your journey of how you even got to the point where you're making the art you make today. And like if you went to college for art or if it was just kind of something that you've always done or came to you like I'm really interested in like the journey of how you got to to where you are with your your art career at the current moment. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I've I've always been creative. Um, you know, my mom's pretty creative, and uh, I was always encouraged to draw and stuff growing up. Um, as a kid, I always wanted to be an animator. That was what I thought I'd be when I was older. Um, I remember I went to did like went on a family trip to Disneyland when I was like twelve. And um, I remember driving in the bus past the Disney uh, studios in LA there and saying to like my mom, I'm going to work in that building one day. <laughs> I mean, I never did. Yeah. I, mean, I, I never became an animator. Um, you know, it kind of grew out of that. I think when I, when I was uh, a teenager, sort of like a few years on from, from doing all the cartoony stuff, uh, I really got heavily into um, comics which at the time wasn't really big here in Australia. So it wasn't like in the States where there was comic book stores everywhere. We didn't really have many dedicated comic book stores at all. Um, in fact, the closest one to me was like a 40 minute train ride. Um, so I'd ride the train like 40 minutes and go and, uh, you know, buy a couple of X-Men comics or whatever I could afford with the, the money I had and then uh, ride the train home. And, um, you know, this was, this was pre-Marvel being the sort of, powerhouse that is these days you know it was um you know a lot of the superheroes and stuff was sort of unknown in australia you know people probably knew who the hulk was because of like the lou ferrigno uh you know movies back in the 70s or whatever and um but yeah it wasn't like x-men wasn't a thing and and you know obviously avengers and all that weren't a thing at the time so um i really got massively into comics and um, then obviously wanted to be a comic book artist and, um, you know, I'd 
sort of draw up my own characters and write all these massive bios and all this sort of stuff. And, um, and then it's kind of just progressed, man. I, I lost touch with that for a long time. So I think from when I probably turned, I don't know, 17 or whatever, I kind of stopped drawing a lot. And then maybe when I was like 24, 25, I was like living in um, Canada and uh, a friend of mine was a, a school teacher who taught art there in Ontario. And um, she said to me one day, hey, I've got some spare canvases here. Do you, do you want them? And I was like, yeah, okay, sure. <laughs> Literally hadn't, hadn't done anything creative for like years at this point in time. Um, and so I just, uh, you know, took them home, got some paints and stuff and started painting up painting up some uh some artworks and and everyone like all my friends and people who are coming around were just like blown away and were just you know full of encouragement so i uh, this guy ended up uh, moving into our house he ended up buying like all the paintings that i did and it paid for my uh my flights and, and everything to get back to australia you know I, i'd been living in uh i'd been living in um, between like san diego and and um like around near toronto for like two and a half years at this point and i was yeah working in like Canada, I think I was, I was landscaping. I was working for like $12 an hour. And, um, yeah, obviously you need to save a lot of money to get, get back home. So yeah, it paid for my, basically for me to get, get back home to Australia, which was pretty cool. And, uh, as soon as I got home, I, um, I enrolled into university here and studied fine arts. Um, after a year of that, I transferred and did viscom design. So it's like visual communication design. It's sort of like a, um, like I guess you'd call it graphic design now, just had a, a fancier, different name <laughs> back then. Right. And uh, you know, I my perspective changed to be a designer, and then uh, you know, I graduated, and yeah, I don't know. Is this getting like super long winded? You want me to cut no, to the chase? No, 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 <laughs> dude. This is the stuff that's super intriguing to me. Like the whole journey, like even even the dude. Every detail you mentioned was super cool. So don't worry about that at all um yeah after that like i ended up graduating uh with a, a bachelor degree in viscom design and um you know i really i was really heavily into design more so than than art you know everyone in my class would be like dude you're, you're like not even a designer you're an artist like mm. you know all my peers would just be like your stuff's so visual like all the design work i do is so um image strong you know, I always had a real problem with like text, typography and stuff. Like I didn't feel like it was, I was very strong with that sort of stuff, but with the visuals, I always like real punchy and real big. So um, I guess it, in the long run, I ended up being an artist because that's, I guess what I always was anyway. But um, yeah, man, we just sort of like, we came here and um, yeah, my wife and I moved up to the Sunshine Coast and opened a coffee shop and, uh sold that and went traveling in europe for six months lived out of a van and went back to canada and then came back here again opened up another coffee store coffee shop and um yeah i kind of just like i don't know i probably just skipped a few steps here uh in the meantime i i um i launched the the fine art company stupid crap um with ben frost who's uh a pretty notorious pop artist um so we became business partners with that and did a lot of projects through there. And then, um, yeah, I opened up another coffee shop and moved in a state back to Newcastle, which is near Sydney. And then, uh, I had some like real bad health 
news. Like, and I, I had like a really sore elbow for a few years, and um, after surgery, it came back as like a really r- r- like rare form of cancer, mm. and and uh, that was sort of like the catalyst for me, like committing to my life now, if that makes sense. So I was doing all these other stuff for years, like you know, I was already pretty heavily involved in the art scene here because I owned an art company that was, you know, pretty heavily involved in, uh, you know, curating shows and doing site-specific installations and events and things like this. So I had a really big curatorial um, background and obviously, a, a, you know, good design um, uh, education. Um, I've been doing art for a long time in terms of like study and practice myself. So, I was like still, re- I, was, I was really heavily involved in it, but for as like a personal artist, I wasn't doing a lot of my own stuff. Like, so I'd curate big shows that had, you know, a really big um, uh, lineup of artists and, um, and the shows w- were uh, successful, but I would never put my own stuff in it just because I'd take my own art career as like secondary to promoting other artists. That makes mm. sense. Yeah. So I saw myself more as a curator than an artist for a long time. And um, I think like when I got that, like that cancer diagnosis, I was just like, you know what? Fuck this. (laughs) Uh, That was like the day that I was like, we're removing all the stress from our lives. So like literally on the way home from the hospital, like I remember calling my wife and being like, that's it. We're moving back to the Sunshine Coast. I'm going to the beach every day. I'm spending heaps of time with my kids. I'm going to paint every day. And that's literally what we did. We sold a coffee shop. I think within a couple months of, of that, we uh, we moved back up here. And um, like I said, now, man, this is like two and a half years later. I live uh, I live 200 meters from the beach. Um, you know, I get to paint for a living. I still get to do the curatorial stuff through my, my art company. Um, I've added a lot more things uh, on top of that. And, um, you know, I guess from just sort of being focused and um, very clear with what I want, um, day to day, I'm just, I seem to get like sort of like endless opportunity now, which has been really good. Ooh, dude. So many, like, <laughs> sorry, that's a big story. <laughs> no, that was sick. Van life, coffee shops, like intense. Dude, that's an amazing, um, amazing switch you made. And you said that you were very intentional about what you wanted and more so than before. Do you, did that come to you or was it like kind of a slow process or did you just like, do you even know right now specifically, like this is the vision I'm moving towards and this is how I'm going to show my art or make my art or do you have like a very specific vision? Well, for me, it was um, like at that point in time, I had just started to do more of my own art, but I was still also, I was still, it was also still secondary to, to all the other shows that I was curating and everything like that. And it kind of just, I always got frustrated with artists when I would work with them, which was literally all the time. So <laughs> I'd always be, I'd, I'd always be let down by the artists just with their work ethic. And, mm. um, you know, I think sort of maybe lack of communication or this is sort of like underlying, um, belief that a lot of artists have which is that they basically are shit and don't deserve money and Mm. it has to be this struggle which is just the biggest lie ever and i think we're seeing obviously that sort of slowly dissolving away now um where creatives are getting a lot more opportunity a lot more praise and you know people are prepared to open up their wallets for for creatives now but um 
you know, 10 years ago, it really wasn't like that. So I think I just sort of got to the point, like it, it was a very clear to me in that point in time, you know, when I made that phone call to my wife, like, this is what we're doing. Like it, there was no, like, this is what I want to do. It was like, this is what we're doing. And, and so we did it and we did it fast. And, um, it was sort of like that, uh, affirmation, like that full commitment to, to, I guess, taking that step towards what I want to do on a daily basis that sort of has ended up being the best thing for our lives. You know, like I get to work from home. I get to see my kids all the time. I get to do whatever I want to do and I'm making more money doing it now than working in a coffee shop that I even, even when I owned it, um, even like, you know, it doesn't matter how successful that sort of stuff is. It's, it's, it's really stressful. Like, um, you can have a pumping cafe, but at the end of the day, there's, you, you're open nearly every day of the year. And, um, even if you take time off, you never get time off. Whereas if you want to take time off as an artist, you can take time off as an artist. You just, Hey man, I'm not going to open my emails. I'm not going to paint for a week. <laughs> it's not a right. That's a night and day difference. A hundred percent. Yeah. So there was a lot of intention behind us making the decision to do it. And I think it was something that I was building towards doing. Uh, eventually anyway, it just kind of just fast tracked it probably by five years, I reckon just by just saying, let's do it and just doing it. Ooh. Is that one of those misconceptions that you think um, artists have? Cause I really want to touch on that. Like the vibe you said that they carry that kind of gets in people's own way. Uh, you mean like the, the artists, like the, the mentality of like, I don't deserve X, Y, Z. Yeah, is that is that like the main thing you noticed or was it also like, uh, I guess the work ethic probably you think stems from that or like people not pricing their art are you talking about? Um, no, it's not about pricing or anything like that. It's, it's literally about just being completely unreliable or having poor Ooh. communication, not working to deadlines. Um, you know, if you commit to something, not seeing it through having to be followed up on a thousand times, um, undervaluing their work. Uh, I mean, it's, the list goes on and on and on. I think that, um, I think, like I said, I think it's changing a lot now, or maybe I'm just working with different people now um, that are more serious about their art careers. But like out of the shows I've curated, I'm, I mean, I'm talking, you know, I've worked with probably every thousand artists uh, and you know a lot of big name artists um, around the world with shows and the artists that are successful and that you look at that if you looked at them on their social medias you'd be like oh they're successful look at all the cool jobs they're doing they're successful for a reason and it's not always that they're more talented than the next guy it's just that they take what they're doing seriously um, you know they they're better at marketing themselves promoting themselves they probably uh, you know, do stick to their deadlines and are very, you know, strict with what they uh, take on. Like I remember I would ask artists to be in shows or things like that. If I got turned down, I'd feel like a little bit bummed. Um, this is before I was, uh, you know, a full-time artist myself. But now I, like I turn down uh, opportunities literally every week, not because I don't want to do them, just because they don't fit in with a schedule or, um, you know, you, ha you have prior commitments or whatever. So I think it's just about being real with what you're actually wanting um, and then committing to it and, you know, committing to it like it is a job. You know, you still have to put in the hours 
you still have to um, pick the right jobs or the right projects or, um, <clears throat> you know, start your own projects or whatever. So there's, you know, there's still a lot of stuff that goes into it. And a lot of it isn't even about painting. A lot of it's about self-promotion, um, you know, collaboration, um, you know, so it, it, it's a whole, bo it's like a whole thing, you know, but when you see artists right. that are like killing it for a year or whatever, and you're like, oh, these people got, and then you like forget about them, you know, you forget about them for reasons because they're probably not making art every day. They mm -hmm. haven't taken their hobby seriously and turned it into what they really want to do, which is probably be creative every day. They're probably like, I can't afford it. I can't afford to be creative every day. And it's like, well, you know, if you don't believe in yourself, no one else is going to believe in you anyway. So. Mm. That's really, really, uh, I think probably going to inspire a lot of people hearing that. And I think even for myself, I'm in the boat with people where like, because I'm early on in like, even entering the art world, it's unclear to me where like the majority of the money actually comes from. Like when you treat it like a business, is it mainly like commission paintings or like selling or is it like design work for companies? Like what is the main, um, is there like a main service or is it just like different uh, like season season? Um, I think for me, uh, it's probably maybe a little bit different to a lot of people because See, I run a I run and own an, an art company on top of being an artist. So, like those two things combine, like just pay me a, a weekly wage. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I don't have to rely on uh, outside jobs to do it, like to you know to pay bills and things like that. Um, but I think that the answer to that question is going to be different for every creative. So, like for me, like the majority of my money would come from commissions. Like I could literally paint three commissions a week and you know there's a few thousand dollars in my bank account but it's like i don't have the time to do that and i don't want to paint for other people all the time like literally most of the paintings i do i just do because i want to paint them and then i'm fortunate enough to have a collector base that wants to buy them and are willing to give me money for whatever i decide to paint so you know i'm sort of in a maybe a lucky position in that regard that i don't have to paint pictures that people tell me what to paint um, or if I do commissions for people like the one I just like the one I literally just finished, like before this phone call, um, was, uh, like two days ago, a guy just messaged me out of the blue and said, can I commission you a painting? And I literally had someone cancel, uh, a commission for June, um, like a week ago that said they couldn't afford it. So I just had a spot. It was like serendipitous. I just had a spot come up. Another person messaged me and say, he took the spot. He told me one thing that he wanted in the painting and then was like, I don't want to overstep your creativity. So do whatever you want. <laughs> so I did. And it's, uh, I mean, I love it. I literally just finished it and I'm really happy with it and I'm yet to show him. Um, but I, I think he'll be pretty happy as well. So, you know, I think the, the, the money aspect is just, it really depends and it depends on, you know, your creative style, what you're doing and, um, you know, and how you market yourself. So, you know, your social medias and things like that are so important, like so important. And mm -hmm. people can just brush it off as much as they want. But um, I'm not talking about big followings here either. I'm just talking about engagement. Like you can have no one follow you. You can have like 500 followers and have 400 of them really engaged. And that's all you need, you know, mm -hmm. rather than, or you can have like 
a hundred thousand followers and have four hundred them in, of them engaged? What's the difference? That's a gem right there. I mean, I can give you a legit story about how that applies. So, I won't name any of the artists, but I've worked with. So, there's two artists that I've worked with. So, one when we relaunched the uh, the company I owned, we worked with an artist who had over a hundred thirty thousand Instagram followers. And we couldn't sell out an edition of 10 prints um, with that following. Um, you know, I've since had like literally the last uh, release we did was with a, an artist named Mr. Mint. Uh, he's this fellow in, from London um, that I've some randomly came across on, uh, on Instagram. And, um, you know, I've been sort of teaching him how to market, him, market it himself how to do limited edition releases. So I've got him on board to do two releases now with the company I own. Uh, I think the first release he had 300 and something followers and he sold it out within, I think it was 18 hours um, with just a few hundred followers. Now he has like 1400 followers or 1500 followers. And we sold out his edition of 40 something prints um, last week in, I think they went in 18 minutes. That's crazy. That's insane. So yeah. just, it's it's literally got nothing to do with followers. It's all about engagement. And then we had another artist who's literally killing it now. Like he would be in the, he'd be easy be a millionaire easily. Couldn't sell five prints of his. And this is like maybe eight years ago or six years ago, seven eight years ago. So it just goes to show like you don't have to be in the game for a long time to make it a a job. Um. You don't have to have a big following to make it a job. Um, if you can engage with the people that you do have, you know, you don't have to rely on thousands or hundreds of thousands of people to get you across the line to make it a, a career. You just have to rely on a small amount of people that believe in what you're doing, um, you know, that are willing to to help see, you know, see your stuff come into, into fruition. And you'd be surprised the amount of people that actually um, – are stoked on that. Like there's so many collectors out there, people that um, aren't creatives themselves, or maybe they are that are really happy to see uh, other creatives succeed, you know, and, and are really happy to, to, to help get them, you know, on their journey. I had a fella in um, United Arab Emirates when I first started painting um, a lot, not even full time, but a lot when I started painting a lot, and he literally, I think he bought like seven or eight paintings from me in like the space of maybe six months. Mm. And um, I didn't know him from Bar of Soap. And he offered, he was offered to, uh, you know, if I was ever in the UAE to, to hit him up and he would show me around. And, you know, these are, these are real people out in the real world that just believe in what you're doing. Um, and you're a complete stranger to them. So, you know, there's a lot of cool stuff happening. Dude, that's that's a really, really, that's a huge gem for myself, and I think a lot of people to hear. I'm interested in how you actually, like, what the main source was for you to find the people who do believe in you and support you. Like, if it was through your galleries, or if it was through like um, doing press stuff, or was it just like legit through Instagram and like kind of like the funnel, I guess, that you found people finding you. Yeah, um, for me, Instagram has been invaluable. Like, it's like I rely on it a lot um, just because I have a pretty engaged audience. 
I don't know what happened. Like I, I never promoted my own Instagram account. I had like 1000 followers maybe two years ago and now I have maybe nearly 14,000. Um, and it just came from, I think as soon as I started painting what, I, like doing what I actually loved, um, that just naturally exploded. So like when I literally just was true to like, all right, I'm going to do this because I love doing it and that's what I want to do. Then it just kind of happened. So I didn't have any weird or yeah, nothing crazy went into it. I just, I just started posting stuff that I was doing that I was proud of and that I loved. And um, I think that my um, audience grew from that. So it's, I guess it's maybe why the engage why my engagement's really good is because it's like a hundred percent organic growth. I like, didn't pay for followers or anything like that. So the people that follow me know what they're seeing because they're the ones that hit the follow button. Um, so like that's been really important to me. Um, yeah, I mean, other than that, mm, yeah, other than that, man, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, man. I have a I have an interesting thought for you. So I was thinking the other day, kind of along the lines of the way that you said you started making the art you actually like wanted to make. Um, yeah. And I have a question slash thought because the thought that I had was like, once people start, because this was like the the step for me. Like, obviously, people have gone down these steps and even further, but like. Once I realized I started valuing the things that were maybe a little less, uh, like, contingent on what I think other people might like and fully just within myself, I've realized that the people that like that stuff are really similar to me because it's mm. kind of polarizing. And then I, I almost, like, thought of it like, whoa, like, this is actually a beacon out into the world to find people that are like me because I'm making something that's, like, not meant for everybody. Yeah. Yeah, I agree that? with that. Yeah. Have you found that? No, 100% agree with that. I think that's definitely um, the best way to look at it. And I think that that's just, yeah, something that will come naturally. Like, if you start doing what, what you want, then you're obviously going to attract the same people that want the same things. Um, mm. Yeah, it's kind of like that whole, like, um, I mean, just skipping ahead to, like, the NFT stuff. Like, mm -hmm. you see all these creatives that, that jumped onto, like, the NFT boat, like, you know, in the last, say, four months but some of them just started doing this stuff that just wasn't their style at all because they probably thought that's what nft should be like it just became this sort of platform full of a lot of dystopian sort of dark art um space orientated you know like mm -hmm. there's so much of the same style um stuff getting out there which i reckon just wasn't actually gelling with a lot of the people creating it hence probably why only some of them uh were successful with it and also the market got flooded with artwork that looks exactly the same but um right i think it's just sort of like the whole like you know don't pay don't pay pictures of um you know beautiful women's faces if you, that's not really what interests you <laughs> right. do do what you enjoy and sort of stay in your lane you don't need to like do do someone else's version of uh, of art just do your version and um and then your fans will you know eventually find you mm. i'm i'm intrigued on your process do you have the idea formulated and then you 
kind of bring into reality or is it more like a steady progression like oh this would be cool here that would be cool and like kind of a build or is it different every time um i actually have like more ideas than time to paint them all so um i'm fortunate in that regard that i don't get like creators block or whatever so i literally like i'll generally have an element that i want to be like the hero part of a painting so, for example, like, I, I seem to paint Popeye a lot or elements of Popeye a lot. Um, and, I mean, I love Popeye. He's cool. He's, like, <laughs> probably the, the best design cartoon character of all time. Um, but it's sort of like if I was, say, I was going to do, like, a Popeye painting, I'd, I'd obviously pick him first or whatever aspect, think about what, he, what I'm wanting him to do, and just, like, build the artwork around that, if that makes sense. Mm. So I, I kind of do build it from like a the one hero image or the one hero scene or whatever I'm wanting it to be. And then I sort of build on top of that. Um, but like I said, like I'm fortunate enough to uh, like from my design degree, I'm, I'm like reasonably good at uh, like the Adobe suite, utilizing the Adobe suite. So, I mean, all of my paintings um, are real on a computer before I paint them. So I get to see what they're going to like. I literally get to see the end result before I start painting. So I don't really have any mistakes. I don't have to paint over things. Um, I don't have to muck around with colors. Um, I do literally do all the color scheme, everything on a computer. Um, and then it's just a matter of if I have to mix colors or um, once I get into my studio, if I have like six blues that are kind of similar, I just always paint them down onto the same material that I'm painting side by side so I can see which one's going to work best. So, um, yeah, it's, it's literally like, uh, I do everything as a digital mock-up before I paint. Was that a big shift or had you always done like digital to start? Well, it wasn't a big shift because like, I, I guess I started with, um, being a hundred percent analog because I didn't know how to use any computer programs. So, um, you know, as a kid and everything, you know, I, like when I was a kid, there was no such thing as the internet. Like I'm 38, so I'm not that old, but I was old enough to remember when uh, not everyone had computers in their homes. The internet didn't exist. People didn't have mobile phones. They didn't exist. Um, so, I mean, all that stuff wasn't really that long ago. So everything was analog at one point in time. And that's when I was super creative. Like we started a, a friend of mine and I started a clothing company when I was in high school. And it was literally like, I didn't know how people made graphics on a computer it just didn't make any sense to me like i was like what do you mean like i didn't know what yeah i didn't i didn't know what like um i probably didn't even know what a pixel was you know what i mean like it yeah, was just uh some foreign concept. it was it was just so foreign yeah like no one was using computers for fun things <laughs> right at that point in time um so it was uh everything was analog then but i think um and when i started you know when i was painting in canada before i moved um, back home everything was still analog it was when i started university and when i transferred to do viscom design that it became you know the whole adobe suite became like mandatory in literally nearly every subject so you know, you learn you pick up illustrator and photoshop reasonably quick so and i and i've used them every single day for you know i th think i finished my degree in like 2008 or something so or 2010 so like 11 years, I've like used them every day. So, you know, it's definitely something I, that I learned. Um, but I also use an iPad now, which is something I sort of had to teach myself to use Procreate. 
I don't love it, to be honest. I don't. I still tend, tend to find myself on the computer probably more than the iPad, but um, it's just another tool that's easy to rely on for just quick sketches and stuff. Mm. Have you found that there's a time that you're more creative or like a like an experience uh, that will lead you? Um, usually, like I have my uh, concepts usually like in the evening or like when I'm in the shower. Mm. <laughs> it's when I sort of think about what I'm what I'm going to do or whatever. So just at really any point in time, I always forget a lot of them as well. Like I said, I don't really have any sort of um, you know, I don't generally have a an issue with um coming up with things that I think will work well as a painting. It's more like I have too many ideas, so I have to pick which one I think is going to work well, or then think which one maybe someone would buy. Right. If I'm painting it to try and sell it, if that makes sense. If I'm painting for like a show, like an art show, like I just had a solo show in Hong Kong, um, which closed like two weeks ago, um, you know, that sort of thing just becomes like an all out time fest. So it's like, how many paintings can I fit into (laughs) this amount of time? So you just go nonstop. And I mean, you know, uh, doing it that way is not always the, the best recipe for success. But, you know, when you need to fill an entire gallery of your own work and you have to paint like 40-something paintings, there's only so much uh, excellent work I think you can fit into like a two or three-month schedule. Ooh. What would you say you get the most joy out of in your entire art projects and career and, and out of everything you do? Um, painting the black. <laughs> okay interesting yeah like like finishing off the pieces you know like the because it's all just like labor up until then you know it's like um you know like the, the the layout and stuff is fun when you're on the computer because you, you're seeing the end result come to life you know in front of you and then it's fun obviously transitioning that to like canvas or timber or paper or whatever you're going to paint onto um so like the the initial the initial like creativity part is awesome. And then like when you are putting that onto, when you're putting that onto the, um, you know, like the canvas or whatever in block colors, it's super boring. <laughs> mm. I think, you know, it's like, you know what you're doing. It's just like, all you're doing is just doing coats of paint to, to make it nice and flat, particularly the way I paint because um, my work is so like precise, like it just relies on dead flat colors and perfect sharp lines. So, you know, I want like my paintings to look like they were printed almost like they're they're that flawless. Um, And so it's kind of like, for me, it's like meticulous painting color over the top of color until it's just like totally flat. And, um, you know, when I get onto the black, it's like, that's the fun part because you're sort of seeing each part of the painting being finished in front of you. You're like, wow, that looks so cool. And, you know, you get to look at it at the end, you go, sweet. And you put it in a drawer or you just post it to someone. <laughs> right, right. Because, yeah, your paintings are super precise. Have you have you found that, like, over your lifetime as an artist, you've had a steady progression in skills or had it, like, accelerated at certain points or, like, slowed down? Or, like, was it a constant elevator? <laughs> um, you know what? It's not... Uh, it's not a skill-based thing. I don't think, you know, like, I don't think that, I don't think that like what I'm doing, I don't think that 
uh, other people couldn't do it. I think that anyone could. Um, and the reason I say that is like two years ago or 18 months ago, like I literally couldn't paint black lines with a brush and I didn't. I used um, like paint pens or like fine liners or whatever mm-hmm. to do all the black line work because I didn't back my own ability to be able to paint that meticulously with a brush and with paint. Um, so, and I know a lot of artists still just use texture or, you know, different variations of paint pens and fine liners and stuff to finish their work because they're probably in the same boat. You know, it's, it's difficult to paint small and meticulous and neat, but literally anyone can do it. It's just practice. Like it's, you don't get better at doing it by not doing it. So I just committed to, you know, I didn't want to be the guy finishing his beautiful flat paintings with a pen or like with a acrylic paint pen or whatever. I wanted to be a all in out fine artist that only used paint and brushes. And so I taught myself to do it. I got myself a massive stack of um, tiny brushes and, um, you know, and just put in time. It's just literally time and practice. That's all it is. And anyone can do it. And I'll back this up by saying, now, I know another artist who is a um, really amazing illustrator, like like fine art drawing, you know, like super detailed, hyper-realistic stuff. And um, uh, we did like a print with him in like 2007. And um, I saw him compare some of his drawings from around that time with like two years before, and he literally couldn't draw for shit. Um, literally couldn't draw. Like he, he wanted to be able to draw really well. He, so he said, I made sure every single day that I would draw something mm. and it didn't have to be awesome. I didn't have to spend a lot of time on it, but I had to sit down and I had to like physically draw something like from whether it's from a picture or something in front of him. And he just became like this absolute gun. Like you would be like, this dude was so talented. He must've been drawing since he was a kid. Not even true. Mm. So he taught himself how to be a really good artist simply by practice. Um, you know, if you're practicing stuff like that, you're creating, you know, new neural pathways and you don't, you know, you didn't forget it. Um, so it's essentially just a matter of anything. If you, you can't just, I don't, I don't think you can just like take yourself out of the equation before you try anything. So you just go, oh, there's no way I could do that. It's like, if that person's doing it, you can do it too. It's literally just, you know, some people may be more naturally skilled, but anyone can learn to do anything. Ooh, that's another huge gem, man. We started talking like spiritually, like right off the bat. And I'm interested if that has any relation to your work, because I feel that creativity for me is very much linked to spirituality. Um, And they feel like kind of like neighbors, at least, or like, if it makes sense, like two doors next to each other. Um, Mm. Have you found anything like that for yourself? Um, To be honest, not really. Like, my like spirituality or um you know whatever you want to call it is is basically like it stemmed a hundred percent from um my sorry one second um it stemmed a hundred percent from my uh health issues Mm. so you know after i had that um health scare a few years ago that's was sort of like the catalyst that saw me change my life in like more, more ways than obviously delving into being a creative for a career, but um, you know, in, in heaps of ways. So it sort of opened my mind to 
the whole um you know things bigger being bigger than you you know spending more time on on realizing how insignificant i am if that makes sense yeah no that so many thoughts and like shifts must have been generated out of that 100% and they've all been really good and i mean you know i i continue to do it because obviously you know there's i don't think there's really any end to sort of that journey it's something that is just ongoing forever until you sort of go on to the next thing so um yeah but for me like the the correlation between that and sort of like my creative experience has kind of been i mean other than they sort of both happen at the same time you know what i mean mm. i mean it could have something to do with it but i i mean i chose to do to become a creative as if like that was a, a conscious decision um and at the same time was kind of i guess when i became more uh more interested in sort of the the spirituality side of stuff yeah that's really intriguing man have you have you come to any conclusions like almost like at the same gravity of like we are very insignificant have you found any conclusions or any like new ways of thinking you may have never like even saw yourself thinking in the past uh like all of it <laughs> like <laughs> like literally everything man um mm-hmm. i think um I started doing, I think the first thing in that regard that I started doing was um, I, I read the book, um, Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. Ooh, Have you read that before? Dude, I'm in the middle of that book. That's perfect timing. Yeah, Joe Dispenza, which is yeah. amazing. Um, like that was probably the biggest, like that was the biggest shift for me reading that book. And then the, the next one he has called You Are, you Are the Placebo um, absolutely blew my mind. So at that time i mean that sort of kind of opened me up to the whole thought of like um like quantum physics and things like that like which i'd never really given much thought of beyond comic books mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> you know what i mean like i'm yeah. like oh man com- comic book writers have had like known about this stuff for so long what the hell um so like the whole quantum physics sort of stuff i never really thought about until um joe dispenser's books and um and then i started doing like wim hof uh, around that time as well. So maybe like 18 months ago. And I was like, oh man, like I couldn't hold my breath for like 30 seconds. And I like, seriously, the second day I did, I held my breath for like two minutes. Mm. And I was like, oh my God, I'm a superhero. I can hold my breath for two minutes. What the hell? Um, and so I started doing that like literally every day. And I got up to like every day I would be able to hold my breath for between like three to four minutes, like every single day. So I think, yeah. I, I, think the, I think the longest I got was like four minutes and like a couple seconds. Um, but it's just sort of like to me that just reaffirmed that like we're our mind is more capable of crazy stuff um, than uh, anything that I knew, and I think that like the sort of like the way you think and the way you approach things um, has a big impact on sort of what happens to you physically. Um, you know, like I think that people can literally think themselves sick, think like think themselves better. Um, you know cure themselves from whatever you know if you can if your body can create it your body can heal it like that that sort of mentality so it gives you a lot more power i think um as a as a being or as a whatever um more power in yourself knowing that you is sort of like the um the master of your own outcomes if that makes sense Mm. um you know like you know the whole like realm of possibility sort of stuff and 
you know, literally everything is uh, in the in the realm of possibility. You sort of just take whichever you, you you by the choices that you make daily, you sort of like taking the uh, that part out of the the realm of possibility. If that makes sense. So it's, uh, I think there's a lot of like crazy stuff going on with that. I watched this amazing documentary uh, like a week ago, um, which is called, uh, is it called Being Superhuman? I think it's on Amazon Prime. And it's, um, it's sort of like a culmination of like all this sort of stuff, which is becoming, I think, more mainstream now. So like the whole quantum physics thing. Um, it's basically doing that, but doing it like in front of people. So it's not like a woo woo sort of like this person's fucking out of their brain yeah. scenario. Cause I mean, it's so easy to just be sort of like um, downtrodden by narrow mindedness being like, Oh, this person's fucked up. Wouldn't they think they yeah. can heal themselves or they think they can, you know, change the outcome of this scenario. It's just like that, that way of thinking, I think is just totally fucked. <laughs> if you Dude, wake up thinking I... like that, why bother? I'm in full agreement with you there. Yeah. Yeah. So you can, I think you, you can be in control or whatever. So I think, you know, the, the whole thought of being like, what you're doing is extremely insignificant. You're really insignificant in terms of this, like the size of, you know, the universe and beyond. Um, it's such a minor thing is something that is really freeing. Um, you know, not it, it makes you take yourself a lot less seriously and your problems a lot less seriously when you think about how small they are compared to everything that exists on an energy level. Um, and I think that's something that's really calming, or at least I find really calming. It kind of takes the pressure off. Mm. Yeah, that's one of those realizations that people have like that pitchfork in the road where they can find it calming or they like stress out about it and those are the coolest ones too because the people oh, that, yeah yeah you probably found a ton of like solace in that 100 percent. you know i mean if you can choose stress or you can choose you know to be calm what are you going to do it's literally like the thought of being like do i want to wake up with a cloudy mind tomorrow or do i want to be clear-minded it's like everyone's going to choose clear-minded but not everyone does every day <laughs> You know, everyone mm. wants the stress, you know, everyone's addicted to the stress and every, you know, what that gives you, Ooh, you know, that, little ru- that little rush, that little rush. But if you can get addicted to the, the chillness, it's heaps better. That's a really cool way to put it, man. I've never heard anybody say it like that. But that seems to me like what it is. It's like an addiction to stress that people have. Oh, 100%. I think that's exactly what it is, you know. Um yeah, I mean, you know, I'm I'm relatively new to all this sort of uh, you know, way of thinking and and whatnot. But I mean, I try and listen to to podcasts or sorry, not podcasts to um like audio books and stuff while I paint. And a lot of them are usually sort of in the same vein as as this sort of stuff. You know, um, I'm really interested in quantum physics and and sort of like the capabilities of um the human mind and even you know. I guess on a spiritual level, if you want to say that, um, you know, this, I think it's just like, a, I think it's just an important thing. You know, you need to, I think you sort of need to know your place um, to sort of find peace. And if you think that you're the center of the universe, you know, you're probably not going to find any peace in that. Ooh. Yeah. 
for me that breaking the habit of being yourself book like that was a huge 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 like uh cat out of the box situation where like as soon as i really started to understand the beginning parts of that i'm like holy shit like we are just oh, yeah. it, right just be like it's such an eye-opener yeah yeah no for sure man have you i think it just like that book just really outlines like it that's a real like in your face of like oh man like i'm i'm just in a fucking repetitive scenario like it just shows you so specifically um you know how everyone's just kind of in this perpetual loop of what they do and the way they think so like i love that that that's sort of like the that's literally like the most empowering book in terms of like you know you have the power to turn your life around it's not like you know it's it's not like one of these like self-help type scenarios but it you know it, it brings like science to a digestible level um and really shows you that you were like i was saying you're literally like the master of your own reality and you know you can literally have the the choice on a daily basis of what you know what your next day is going to look like Ooh. but yeah, yeah keep reading it man after if you after that one read um you are the placebo it's amazing yeah no i'm grateful for that because i've actually haven't heard of that one so i'm gonna check that out i um i agree with you there too like the self-help situation people are like oh 10x 1000x and like i'm super down for that to each his own but i also feel like sometimes you need to work out some of the things that joe dispenza talks about before you can like go crazy and go 10x like sometimes you have to mm. even see yourself as the person that could do that you know Oh, hundred percent. And it's just little things even, you know, like I think if you can, I think once you realize the sort of habit cycle that you can get trapped in and then when you're, you know, once you're aware of it, you kind of become more aware of it every single day of, you know, you can, you can literally see yourself from an outside perspective and be like, Oh man, like this is a total cycle. Like, I would totally make this comment now, but I'm not going to or whatever. Ooh. You know what I mean? You can kind of start catching yourself in these little scenarios of this is the person that I am or have been. I can choose not to do that this time and then see what happens there. I think that's the whole like, you know, that is breaking the habit of being yourself and it is sort of like the catalyst to doing different things, like choosing, like like what we started out talking about, like choosing a career in, uh, you know, being a, an artist or a creative for a career or whatever it is that you're wanting to do as a career. It's, it's just a matter of, I think, getting out of your own way. Um, and your own way is just a whole bunch of habits that you've learned over time. And, you know, even though that comes back, like full segue, go, <laughs> full segue and like, you know, how artists all, you know, view themselves like not all of them, but, you know, not allowed to make money and, um, you know, uh, like unsuccessful and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, poor, the poor starving artist mentality. It's, it doesn't have to be that way. Um, you know, and I think it's sort of like, as soon as you can start seeing that there are different options, you can choose those different options and, you know, that can become a new reality. You know, you can be the person that wakes up in the morning and, you know, decides what they want to do. Do you want to paint today or you want to go to the beach or whatever? you know, you sort of like, you get to live the life the way, the way you want. And if you feel like you're trapped into not being able to do that, it's, you know, it's literally a whole bunch of choices, your own choices that have got you there. So, you know, just make the choices to get you out of that situation. Mm. Dude. Cause those, those 
as much as like they they affect everybody man like those artist misconceptions but i feel like probably in some households more than others or some pockets more than others and it's such a huge shift like even even up until like a surprisingly recently time like i wouldn't even tell people that that was a desire of mine because i was so conditioned dude i was so conditioned to thinking like artists it's embarrassing yeah totally it's which crazy. is fucked that's totally fucked <laughs> that's the you know, like way it, to put it yeah it's like it's a yeah it's like a societal view that's just wrong and i don't even know where it came from like there was like clearly a point in time when like artists were uh you know valued in society it was as not always just like oh, this fucking guy do you know what i mean like it's uh, it's weird it's weird that it sort of became that and i I love i love that it's coming up like full circle now and you know like i think people are realizing that nothing gets done in the world without creatives Mm. you know what i mean like literally the creatives are behind everything but they're behind every single thing that you look at on a daily basis that's not part of the environment like every single thing you're looking at someone with a creative mind did Building a fucking fence, putting, a, designing a stop sign, designing a letterbox, you know, like all these things are done by people that had to sit down and could see a bigger picture and plan stuff out. You know, not this, it's not something that everyone can do. Mm. So it's like, yeah, you know, whether they're designers or whether they're artists or whether they're musicians or whatever, it's literally all uh, there's someone with a creative mind behind it, and it's just um, it's nice that you know, artists are starting to get a bit more credibility. At the moment, I think that it's maybe becoming hopefully easier for people to to choose creativity as a career Mm. that's huge man that's huge that was a really cool like wrap around connect the dots man (laughs) (laughs) no for real because like all these things relate so much at their core yeah i want to know if there's anything you want to to tell the people or to put on the platform or a misconception you want to clear or even like a project you want to you want to tell people about and anything of that nature um i think i've cleared all the misconceptions that i can think of um i think that the yeah the biggest thing the biggest misconception is that you can't be creative and that, <clears throat> even like for myself my um I have a one sister and she's academically like amazing. Um, like any high school stuff is she scored like 98 out of a hundred, which Ooh. is like near and impossible. Yeah. Um, so growing up, like as a, someone who's like, oh, I want to be an animator. And she was just like <laughs> slaying it in school. It's like, right. you never get taken seriously. We are like, oh, look, Aaron likes to draw. Good for you, bro. Right. <laughs> it's like, um, whereas now it's, it's funny seeing like these baby boomer generation, not, not eat their words, but eat their words a little bit, you know? Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like, it, you know, if I can, if I can do it, uh, I think anyone can. And like I said, it's, um, you know, you don't need to have the biggest uh, audience. You don't have to have the most skills. Literally anyone can do anything. Some of the best artists I know taught themselves, you know, the, you don't need to go to university for any of this shit. Um, you know, that's, it, it can all be learned. Uh, you just have to learn it. Mm. You know, there's so much like, I think there's just a lot. I'd go to these um, creative conferences when I was in uni and they'd have like designers and artists and stuff, you know, guest speakers would come and talk for like two days or whatever. 
and they'd always have like a you know a, a something on their slideshow and it'd be like fucking quit your job and it was like something so like bold and almost like disgusting like you know <laughs> like like embrace being a creative and it's like i understand that that isn't a reality for a lot of people like mm. that was just that point in time for them the, the same one that i had coming back from the hospital where i was like nah that enough's enough and now it's time to do it so like that moment that they're talking about when they were just like fuck it quit your job was the same moment when i had fuck it i'm being an artist mm. you know and, and that's not it's not just a, a decision that everyone can just go fuck it i'm doing it you know what i mean like it's mm-hmm. it, people i understand people still have real life commitments it's not just like hey man just quit your job and then it's all going to come together it's a lot right. more involved in it than that and there's a lot of risk that goes into it and there's a lot of challenges and hurdles that come up it's not, it's not everything just doesn't fall into your lap but it's like anything you know like if you are going to do that for the rest of your life you know you, you have to work for the rest of your life you may as well do something that you enjoy doing and i know that's like a massive cliche but you know, if there's a, it's a cliche for a reason, it's fucking like really important. You just spend more of your life working a job than anything else other than probably sleeping. So you may as well pick something that you enjoy doing. Mm. That's huge, man. Saying that that was the time for them. And because I, that's got to be such a personal thing. Like you can't tell a whole crowd of people to just flip the switch. Exactly. Yeah, man. But that's the message that they, I think, well, I think what the point of, of people saying that is to like show that it can be done, Right. but I think it's not given across in that sort of way of like, you know, find the, find the right way to do it. It's not just like walk into your job in retail tomorrow and tell your boss to stick it up his butt and walk <laughs> out and then go, man, tomorrow people are just going to start buying my drawings. Right. <laughs> Cause it's like, that's not how it's going to happen. Ooh. would you give the people or like anyone who's starting in art that's in that position where they've flipped the switch what would the first steps that you would take or retake if you were in that position oh like the moment where i was like this is what i'm gonna do yeah i stopped putting time into things that weren't gonna get me there mm. so that's like probably the first thing so like for me i like put a real can on like the amount of effort I was putting into bettering other artists careers over my own. So because I was, because I was already in the art community and I was doing a lot of curatorial stuff, I made a conscious decision to be like my, my art career comes before these other people's art careers with my own time. I mean, like I'm not going to put my invest my own time in somebody else above my own. Mm. not saying that I don't put effort into, you know, curating shows and that these days, but it's more considered. It's not like I'm going to run around and, you know, fucking bend over backwards for somebody who's clearly not taking it seriously. You know, you, you sort of pick your battles. So, um, yeah, my, that would be my, um, my advice would be, yeah, stop putting effort into things that aren't going to get you to where you're wanting to go. Mm. Would your, would your main uh, intention at that point to be to get into galleries or to like build your social media or what would you like what would you spend the meat of your new like your new life doing um i think social media has got more importance than galleries to be honest um you know like i was saying the the with the artists that had like a couple hundred followers that can sell out editions of stuff 
Um, you know, galleries are good, but I think that the the I think that the future of the traditional gallery is really limited, particularly with COVID now. Um, you know, I don't know. I think it will take a long time to get back to where it was, at least. Um, and the reason I'm saying, like the the point of a gallery is literally just for credibility for an artist. You know what I mean? Right. I see. So like, yeah. so like artists are showing in galleries because it gives them credibility as an artist. So saying, oh, I had a solo show in New York or I had a solo show in London. I had a solo show in Berlin or whatever um, with X, Y, or Z gallery. It's like, it's kind of like a who knows who scenario. It'd be like an actor being like, oh, I was in a, a movie directed by Quentin Tarantino or whatever. Mm. Um, so it's kind of like gives you credibility as an artist because a gallery wants to show your work, um, you know, and they obviously see value in you. So then they're going to show your work to their collectors. So the point of it is that it gives you credibility and then their collector base then knows who you are and where they buy your work at that show. Maybe they buy some work off you privately later or they wait to the next show or whatever. So that's kind of like the give and take, you know, the, artist, the gallery takes half of the money. Mm. from your sales but in return they're showing you work to a whole new audience and they're giving you credibility as an artist so you know galleries are good try and get into group shows i think is um is the 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 most important thing if you're starting out you know group shows are a lot easier to get into than getting a solo show most galleries aren't just going to give a an artist starting out a solo show um yeah see which see which galleries are in your local area um that sort of show the same sort of art that you that you make um and then talk to them about how you can get into their uh, the group shows. A lot of them do like open um, invite sort of stuff. So they might do like a, you know, you can in, um, they'll choose like you can submit work and then they will pick you if you, you know, if your stuff's suitable or whatever. I don't really like that system that much, but um, yeah, but sort of getting, get, getting them to know you exist is probably the first step. Mm. Um the other thing as well is like get to know other artists, particularly where you live. Um, you know, I was lucky in my regard that I already knew a lot of artists because I'd worked with them from a curatorial perspective. Um, so I already had, you know, a lot of relationships with a lot of artists around the world um, from my job as a curator. Um, so, you know, I think that being known by like other artists also gives you credibility the same sort of credibility that galleries can give you. So for example, if you go, if you go onto say another artist profile and say, say you follow like a thousand artists, right. And then you see Joe Blow turn up. So you go to his profile and go, Oh, this guy's work looks interesting. And you can click on it. And then you see, Oh, like a hundred people that a hundred other artists that you follow for also follow this guy. Even if you don't like that guy's work, you're probably going to follow him because mm-hmm. peer pressure. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> Because all these other 100 artists that you obviously like their work and you, you know, think that they obviously have a, um, you know, a good read on the art community, they obviously think his work's good. So you'll probably follow him too. So, you know, get to know your artists, get to know your galleries, even get into some group shows. It's probably a good start. Um, create content, you know, goes without saying and it comes off as like a social media sort of um, type shit. But like social media is important as much as you might, you know, people might want to say it isn't, it hundred percent is. And, um, 
you know, no one's going to follow you if you don't have new content. So mm. for me, like I generally put up at least between one and four stories every day on my Instagram. Um, I try and do like at least probably two or three posts a week. Um, you know, so it's kind of like, there's always new things for people to engage, engage in reply to every person that messages you, um, you know, reply to everyone that comments on your shit. Um, you know, if people are spending their time, like if people are spending time messaging you, uh, then you can at least give them the same courtesy back. Yeah. Unless they're saying something fucking stupid. (laughs) Right. right, right. Those are some awesome steps, man. I think that's going to bring a lot of people clarity. And that's even brought me some clarity too. on like, your approach to, to like the group shows and things of that nature. Um, yeah. I mean, if you know, if you're not out there, if no one knows you exist, no one's going to ask you to do anything. True. You know? Um, so it's just like, it's literally about getting, getting people to know that you are a creative and then, you know, they can pick and choose to look at your shit or not, or think that your stuff's good or not. You know, it doesn't really matter. It's all subjective. You know, there's no like, there's no like scale of like what is good art. Mm, <laughs> it's like it's a hundred percent. It is a hundred percent subjective. I was watching It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia the other day, mm-hmm. and that episode when um, you know, the gallery episode is like, uh, Dennis is saying at the end like, oh, is a is is art defined by what a uh, a bunch of like high opinion people think and say it is? Sure. Yes. <laughs> it's like, it's so true. It's just like, you know, is this valuable because these people said it's valuable? A hundred percent. But, you know, you kind of need to play the game. So at least a little bit. Mm. Have you found like in pricing your work, is it more clear to you how to go about that than it originally was? Um, yeah, I, I've never really had a problem with pricing because that's what I've been doing as a curator anyway. So, um, yeah, I, I never found the pricing mode work a real issue. Um, I think it's when he went to know when to raise the pricing, you know, you, you go from selling like a painting for like 200 bucks to like selling one for like 500 bucks to selling them for like $2,000. Mm. Um, and you're wanting to sort of keep your collector's you know, you want to make that step. Uh, um, there has to be some sort of reason behind it. You know what I mean? Like you just go, oh, I've been painting for two years now, so I'm going to up my prices. I don't think it's really about that. I think it's got to do with more to do with like time and um, and uh, scarcity. You know what I mean? Like if I don't have all the hours in the day to fucking paint artworks for people, then I only have one commission slot open a month. So mm. now that commission slot's worth more because if you want it, it's the only one I have. Um, so so it's got more to do with that, that sort of stuff rather than, you know, willy-nilly pricing. But, um, you know, I, I think it's all really up to someone. I think you need to stay in your, in your lane with that as well. Like, if you're just starting out, don't think that someone's going to be buying your artwork for thousands of dollars because they're not. Right. You know, Um yeah, you know, in in most senses, they're not, because it's that's not really how it works. You know, most people aren't going to see, particularly art collectors. They want to see sort of like, um, like a catalog of like a back catalog of art, or see that you aren't just like a dude who just decided to paint on the weekend and 
then next week you're not going to be any shows or be doing it anymore. You know what I mean? Right. Um, So I think it sort of like has to be looked at in like a long-term perspective. Um, So yeah, just uh, account for your time and, um, you know, make sure you're not undervaluing yourself, but at the same time, you know, make sure that you're, you're keeping work accessible to, to collectors. Like, don't price people out of buying your work, particularly mm. when you don't have uh, a lot of credibility as an artist. Mm, that's huge. Because I've heard a ton of that. <laughs> the advice of, like, bro, it's just, like, grow some balls and charge all this money. But it's, like, I don't... That's just not the way to do it, at least from my perspective. <clears throat> yeah. I, I mean, I don't know anyone that has just been able to do that, <laughs> to right. be honest. You know, know. I've been in the art scene for a long time. Um and I don't know anyone who's just like, yeah, I'll just charge people whatever. I mean, you can put a, you can put a price of whatever on your artwork. It doesn't mean people are going to buy it. Right. Like, is For your goal sure. to sell art or is your goal to have high-priced work that doesn't sell? Exactly. It's a, it's different strokes, man. You know, some people, I've, I've heard stories of people that do their first solo show and they just like, none of it's actually for sale. So they just go and put red dots on it all. So it looks like it's sold out at the mm. opening and so it creates like this whole like oh their first show sold out even though it didn't that's sick, um <laughs> you know so there's like a lot of weird tactics like that i mean i've never done anything like that or i don't know personally know anyone that has but i mean these are all just stories um and i, I mean i get the i get the uh the concept behind doing it but you know why paint a whole show and they're not even right. give anyone the opportunity to be able to buy it right Right, that's funny. There's a lot of like those little, like I guess, different pushes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We've covered a lot of cool stuff, man. I don't want to hold you up too long. If if you got some some stuff going on today, yeah, man. I've got a uh, actually have another phone call uh, in like half an hour, so I'll have to jump off pretty soon. For sure, bro. This has been an amazing podcast, dude. Like, we covered spirituality, we covered creativity, we covered artist misconceptions your journey your projects very great guests dude thanks for having me dude for sure for sure i'm excited to follow your journey see where you take things see if you truly ascend out of being a human being and fully <laughs> go spiritual we'll see yeah next time i'll be a guru next time oh man i hope I'll so be like i don't even create art anymore i just <laughs> uh, live in a different dimension you just levitate around. Yeah, that'd be nice. <laughs> Dude, thank you so much. This has been a great podcast. No worries, man. Appreciate it. If there's anything you want to leave the people with before we sign off, just let them know your projects, anything you want to like promote or shout out. Um, oh, My projects at the moment are up in the air or I can't really talk about them at this point in time. So I'm, I'm meant to have a solo show coming up in, um, in London. Um, but at the moment, uh, yeah, we'll see what happens there. So I'll, I'll update everyone via my Instagram account. So people um, follow me. It's just Aaron J Craig. Mm, you got it, man. All right. You people heard him from Aaron J Craig. This is fake control signing off. Thank you everybody. <laughs>